All right, here we are again for Two Fat Guys and a Microphone. I'm Bart Nichols. And I'm James Boyd, and we are back at you. It's been a couple weeks since we came together last, and a lot has changed in the world around us. First and foremost, it's the coronavirus pandemic. I thought to myself, you know, there's a bad spring drip bake joke in there about coronavirus. And I think back to all the times that I had the symptoms of college coronavirus, which was basically vomiting and a headache. And that's because I had too many coronas. But holy mackerel, this thing is so surreal. It's like... It's like all the zombie movies and virus movies you've ever seen, and like it's actually happening. But without, it's chaotic, but it's controlled chaos. Yeah, and it changes like hourly. Yeah. People are out getting their stuff, and people are fairly nice. We were at Costco yesterday getting some provisions, and people were fairly decent to one another. There weren't any fights, and everybody was doing their thing, but it just seems like this is almost the calm before the storm for us. Yeah, I was thinking back to growing up on a farm, and my parents had food stockpiled and water stockpiled, and we've just never done that, living in a suburban area like Kansas City. So for us, it's been an experience stocking up to potentially self-isolate, because my son, who works for the Red Cross, said that you should be ready to stay shelter in place for three weeks. So... We've been to Aldi, and that was chaotic, my wife said, and today we went to Walmart, and we had put one of the online orders in, and they didn't have like 20 of the items, so we just decided to go in, and it was very surreal seeing empty shelves. It was like Venezuela. Yeah, yeah. It was, I've seen it sometimes in Mexico when we've been down to Mexico, but you know, here you never see empty shelves. There's everything. So the soup aisle, pick clean. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Costco, there were no toilet paper. There were no paper towels. There were plenty of Kleenexes, napkins, some other smaller, you know, paper products, but the big ones that we use and we associate with cleanliness which i think you know we've been told since we were kids that you that you take a shower you make sure you smell good and you wipe after a number two and i think people are trying to maintain rules of social decorum in the midst of of this pandemic which is you know it's kind of weird and interesting to see how people prioritize things when they're unsure of what to do it's, it's the lowest common denominator. Everybody eats, everybody sleeps, everybody poops. You got to get food, you got to be able to rest and, and recover, and you've got to be able to take care of yourself and keep yourself clean. Yeah, but it's interesting too. It's gotten me thinking about as this progresses, because we have no fucking idea how long this is going to take. It could take a month, it could take three months, we don't know. But what I'm interested in is the as things change, what kind of social breakdown is there going to be? So it's had me thinking to myself, okay, let's say I'm out in public and somebody decides that they want to get shitty with me or my wife's out there on her own. How do we protect ourselves? Because for us, we don't own handguns. And it's really got me thinking about getting handguns. So (laughs) here I am in Walmart today and the best I could fucking come up with is I bought a a t-ball bat <laughs> to put by my front door so if i have to scare somebody off with my fucking t-ball bat i can do that <laughs> uh, t-ball bat so i got that i've got a handheld taser i actually bought that a few years ago because i dabbled around with being an uber driver i know all the exciting parts of my career are coming out here um but even that you know I have to hold it and I have to stick it in somebody's side. So that's pretty close proximity. And, you know, it it makes you wonder, should I own a handgun during this whole thing to protect myself? What am I going to do if there's a basic breakdown in social decorum? You know? Hopefully it won't get to that point. You know, a lot of people, I'm looking at Facebook. I don't engage on Facebook anymore, but I like to read sometimes. And especially when there's big things like this that happen, I like to see kind of 
get a temperature check and, and find the pulse of where people are. And there are a lot of people that think it's overblown and it's blown out of proportion and that we're doing too much and that the media is hyping and exaggerating the actual severity of the threat. And, and the way I look at it is simply, you know, if we are taking extreme measures to be over cautious and we're, we're stocking up, even if we don't need it, but if that significantly decreases the number of people that get infected by the virus and subsequently less people die, then it's all worth it. You're still going to have people out there that say it was overblown and it was blown out of proportion and that it wasn't that big of a deal and everybody panicked, but I would rather have controlled chaos like we have now and shut down all major sporting events, shut down all major air airfare in and out, do everything that we're doing and quarantine ourselves preventatively, keep ourselves at home, work remotely, do all of those things so we're not in contact with each other. It seems to me pretty common sense what we're doing, but I was, I was shocked to see how many people were, you know, being very aggressive on Facebook about, you know, not knowing somebody directly, but criticizing people whose friend they work with know somebody where they grew up that has it. Like, it's real. People are dying all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, in Iran, over 100 people died overnight. That's Last great. night. Largest spike since they've, they've had in deaths in one day since the outbreak started. Like, it's legitimately a thing, and there are people out there that just don't believe it. It just blows my mind. Yeah, and I mean, it is unprecedented what they're doing right now. Um, shutting things down, but it's a virus, you know? The more people that come in contact with each other, and we live in a time period in history where you can be from Australia to Kansas City in 24 hours of travel, people are coming in from all over the world. Of course this thing's going to spread. It's not going to not spread at all. We're just trying to mitigate where it's going and how fast it's going and maybe let it run its course without killing 200,000 people. Yeah, and, and it's not martial law. Like, there are, are common sense restrictions on air travel that are in place. You can still get on an Amtrak and go across the country on a train. You can still get in your car and drive around. If you want to go to the movie theater, you can go to the movie theater. If AMC or Cinemark or B&B theaters or whomever as a private company decides to shut down because they think that's in the best interest of their clients and customers, that's a choice that they can make. Nobody's being forced to stay home. You're being requested and highly encouraged to stay home, but we still can travel about freely. We can still go to the gas station and get a, a, a bread bowl in the morning if we want. You can do those things. I think it's just being asked to do it responsibly and be smart about your actions, and I don't see any problem with that. And there's people out there that disagree, but, you know, I'm not saying that I want the government to take over and, and run every aspect of our lives, but it's, when we look at the the measured response that we have from our governments in the federal level and at the state level across the country, it it's not as bad as people are making it out to be. We're not being oppressed by the man, you know? It's, it's something that makes sense in the moment based off the situation and circumstance that 340 million Americans are all sharing right now. Yeah, I, I would say, though, that I don't feel like the administration's out in front on this whole thing. I think he kind of, he being the orange man, uh, for those of you that haven't figured that shit out yet. Cheeto uh, Perez. Um, he's not taking it seriously. I, I think he's a naysayer on the whole thing, and he's only doing it because he's got people in the administration saying you have to be out in front. Because I'm thinking of like other national crises that we've been through. I wasn't a fan of George W., but he was out in front on 9-11 the whole time. He was in charge. You knew he was in charge. You felt comfortable he was making decisions. Barack Obama, market crash, 2008, 2009. He was out in front on it all the time, so you knew what was going on. I don't see that from Trump. I, it makes me wonder if he even knows what to do. You know, because he comes out and says one thing and does another, and he's saying he's he's almost like that that kid in high school who said everything just to seem cool but didn't know what he was talking about case in point is he came out and said that within 60 days we would have a vaccine that's not how vaccines work it's going to take probably another 10 to 12 months realistically to get a vaccine and that's just that's that's world health organization officials 
That's other leaders in the healthcare world. world. That's former Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius coming out and saying, it's a long runway. You can't just throw something out there. It has to be efficable. It has to be viable. It can't cause more harm than it's intended to alleviate in somebody. And you have to go through the testing process before it gets to clinical trials. And then the data is looked at, and then the clinical trial is concluded, or they do another one to see if a different combination of how the vaccine is put together is more effective or less effective, and then it's brought to the mass public. 60 days isn't going to do it. And so when he says things like that, it makes me wonder if he is listening to his advisors and if he's fit for president. It's one thing to say something just to say it, but when you are just bullshitting your way through a press conference with lies because you're just, you think you can say whatever you want, and we've emboldened him to do that through allowing him to get elected, but it's a whole other conversation. It's, I don't know if he's really with it. I don't think he gets it, you know? Yeah, the problem is, is that his base are so completely loyal to him that they'll listen to anything that he says for the rest of us shit doesn't fly because he's not saying anything that makes any sense it's it's more important for people right now in this situation to listen to the cdc because guess what the president isn't even close to knowing the things that the cdc knows they're the scientists they're the ones out there they're the ones that are guiding so for me and my family, we're looking at the CDC website. If it tells us to do one thing, we're taking that pretty seriously. We're not listening to him and going, oh, all we have to do is wait for the vaccine that'll be here 60 days from now. We'll just keep going on life as normal. You know, we're legitimately trying to not go out into public groups and, and just minimize contact because, you know what, I don't want to get sick with this. There's a strong likelihood I'll get sick with it, but if I can kind of pass off on that, I'd, I'd, I'll take a fucking pass on that. Yeah, yeah, there's two things in this world that I don't fuck with. It's snakes and viruses. Pathogens. No, no way. Like, if I see a snake, I don't care if it's venomous or not. I'm letting it stay over in its little area. If I hear that there's a pathogen that could infect 60 to 70% of the people in this country if left unchecked, I'm going to stay the hell away from it. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize my contact with people around me. It's just, it's common sense. Um, kicker about the CDC is Trump restricted funds for the CDC as soon as he was elected. That was one of the first things he did. He was asked this week by a New York Times reporter about his decision to do that, and he downplayed it and said that, basically, I didn't do that. We didn't do that. We never cut funds from the CDC. There used to be a an office of pandemic preparation in the White House. He eliminated that. Snopes went through and did a really great, thorough follow-up on whether or not it's true whether or not he did cut the funds, and he did. And he still has doubled down on that. He's not going to give the CDC more money. And some of the lasting impacts of this are based off what he did right after he took office. Additionally, the World Health Organization after SARS in the early 2000s came together and put together an international protocol that was agreed to by all the major nations of the world that they would report all any and all information when this happens to the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization would then disseminate the information and make determinations and recommendations based off each geography on what should happen based off the numbers and what they're, what's being reported to them. Nobody's taking the WHO. Like we could be ahead of this globally if the nations of the world would funnel everything up to the WHO like they agreed to 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that could be done differently. I am gonna work at home as much as I can I'm going to stay out of public. If I go out, I'm going to have my bottle of sanitizer with me. I'm going to sanitize my hands. If I touch common surfaces or common areas, I'm going to do what I can to, to steer clear of it. Yeah, it's, it's problematic because as soon as he got into office, he really started cutting out all the scientists from the administration. So now here we have this shitty situation, and we need it, and we don't have any fucking scientists in there that can get in and work the problem. And the thing is, is that just because we get through one batch of this this spring and this goes away, 
it's just like the flu. It could come back just as easily. So if we're not prepared for it next year, it could be the same thing. We get influenza every year. So it's, it's tough. <laughs> There's an article. Um, I think it was a New York Times article this week that I read. And it was talking about how as, as recently as 2016, researchers were working on a vaccine for coronavirus variants. And it was University of Texas at Austin and uh, Baylor University in Texas, and that these scientists had good progress that had been made in coming off the heels of SARS in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. and then MERS, which was the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. It was a, another coronavirus variant that came from Saudi Arabia, I think is where it, uh, it originated, and there was a lot of international focus on this type of virus, so there was funding, and grants were being given to them, and they were able to fund their research, and in 2016, Nobody had come down with a coronavirus case outside of the common cold, which is a very, very mild version of the coronavirus. But this variant is something new that they haven't experienced before. And all the funding dried up for these researchers. And when they were interviewed in the article, they said, you know, pharmaceutical companies wouldn't give us money because there wasn't a market for it. They couldn't turn a profit and get a return on their investment. And, like, and governments stopped caring and stopped focusing on the need for this because nobody was contracting any type of coronavirus. And so the funding dried up and they were asked, well, what, what can you do? They're like, well, we have our vaccine that was getting ready to go to clinical trials for humans in a freezer in a lab in Texas. We could have had a vaccine had we appropriated funds effectively and said, this isn't a problem now, but we've seen two instances of this in the past, in the recent history, within the last 10, 12 years. Let's go ahead and finish this up. Let's get a vaccine. Uh, I went and I was a part of a study for um, a knee injection at, at a local university medical center health system here in town. And I was talking to a guy who was helping me with the follow-up appointment for the study I'm in. And he said that he heard through the medical professionals there that they're using an Ebola virus antiviral as a base for what they're hoping to be a vaccine. And they're trying to see if they can take something that has retroviral properties and adapt it for this, given hmm. the short time frame that they have. And you know, again, that was secondhand. It was anecdotal evidence from him to me. But it seems that most people are pulling out all the stops. You, know, you look at Colorado, who had drive through testing centers recently. You look at New York State who stepped away from the federal machine and is using state facilities and state testing labs to send samples off because they can turn them around quicker than having it go through the federal government and the CDC. We're starting to see some innovation there. My fear is that it gets too disjointed and we're not sharing information because that could happen. Yeah, it was super crazy to see the uh, state of New York put National Guard troops. Yeah at New Rochelle. Yeah. That that was a little weird to see. And I get it. You know, you have to at some point, if you've got a hot spot, how do you try to contain it? That's what yeah. the National Guard's there for. But it was kind of crazy. You know, yeah. it's kind of a movie moment. Um, it's like with that movie Outbreak. With I know. Dustin Hoffman. That's exactly what I was Crichton. thinking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, geez. It's, but, you know, it, it, that's probably the closest thing to martial law that we we have right now. And within the quarantine zone, people can still travel freely. They're not... You know, you don't have soldiers that are, are at your front door pointing an M16 or an M4 at your face saying, go back inside. Like, they can still go to the grocery store. They can still go to the gas station. They can still go get fresh air and walk about. Um, again, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of freedom issues that probably will arise from that. But in the moment, if you have a hot spot and you can quickly contain it, why wouldn't you? It's like if you have a fire in your house, if a say a trash can catches on fire... Are you going to get a fire extinguisher and try to contain it quickly and effectively with minimal damage elsewhere? Or are you going to call the fire department, wait for them to come, risking the fact that your whole house might go up in flames? It's, it, it's not the American way, quote unquote, but at this time, I think some concessions need to be made. Now, as, long as, they go, as long as they go back to wherever they came from once this is all over, you know. Is it worth it? That's a question we have to ask, and the answer is going to be different for everybody. You know? Well, sure. You have to decide, I mean, am I willing to put up with some inconveniences as opposed to getting sick? Because 
I'm a pretty healthy person for my age, but I can get sick easily and I could be just as much a victim of the whole thing as somebody else and lose my life. So am I bummed that March Madness isn't going on? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the only time I watch basketball all year. So, but you know, they're now talking about uh, postponing primaries. So, you know, about... Joe Biden would never admit this, but he's fucking bummed right now yeah. because he had, he had serious momentum. Because from the momentum. time you and I talked two weeks ago yeah. on our first episode, <laughs> he had fifth. just won South Carolina, yeah. and holy shit, things changed in in a few days. So now he's in a back room somewhere, quietly admitting to somebody, "God damn it, I don't want this shit to slow yeah. down." Because yeah. at this point, if they start postponing primaries. It's going to be a shit show at the convention to decide how they're going to determine who the nominee is. And on the flip side, you know Bernie's just licking his chops. He's hoping for a complete breakdown of the healthcare system so he can come in and say, I was right. You called me crazy. I can't comb my hair and I have a wrinkle blazer on, but you <laughs> called me crazy and I was right. And he's going to, to, to use this to his advantage. I think this is going to galvanize his base they're going to come together even more feverishly than they already have and they're going to make a serious push at the convention when they count delegates you can't biden his his resurgence was very unusual to me in the fact that the people that were ahead of him just started to drop out and then they came back a short time later and then endorsed him yeah as i look back over the last couple of weeks what i really think happened is after south carolina is that the democratic national committee really got serious about the fact that whether they agreed with biden or not in their opinion he's the best chance of beating trump and so everybody else got around that so i don't think they're all hugging in a back room and singing kumbaya i think they know that Biden has potentially the best chance to beat Trump. And that is all they're thinking about at this point. How do we beat Trump? I think, I think you're, you're right. And I would add that Bernie getting, a, getting the nomination and being the presidential candidate pushes, it, it forces the Democratic National Committee to move their platform away from center left to far left. And they, they want the far-left influence. They want people who are rabble-rousers, who are rattling sabers, who are out there like the Elizabeth Warrens, the Bernie Sanders. They want people who could and should probably really fit in as a Green Party candidate, but have uh, that, you know, Green Party for what they are, just like Libertarians and other parties, smaller parties, they don't have the money. And it's all about money and politics right now. That's the way you get to the Oval Office. It's by outspending, outspending, outspending. And you can't let Bernie get elected or nominated if you want to say that you're a, a centrist political organization. It's just like the, the, the Republicans aren't Republicans any longer. They're not Reagan Republicans, and they sure as hell aren't the Republican Party that Lincoln founded as a third-party candidate ahead of the Civil War. They have gone so far from where they started that, that they shouldn't even call themselves Republicans. They should call themselves uh, like corporatists. It's the corporatist party. They are in bed with the businesses. They're doing backroom deals. It's all who you know at the highest levels. And we're the ones stuck holding the bag. And so on both sides, you kind of have a shit stick to pick from. You know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, ultimately, whether some of his ideas, and actually some of Bernie's ideas are, are good. I, I think they could be toned down a little. But ultimately... Most voters out there are not going to be comfortable with voting that far left. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even talking just the people that are Democrats. I'm talking about the more moderate Republicans yep. or liberal Republicans, whatever you want to call them, the independents. If they have to choose one or the other, and it's the extreme of Trump or the extreme of Bernie, Bernie. I think a lot of people are just going to vote. 
well, yeah, a lot of them are going to like, oh, fuck this, I'm not going to vote because <laughs> them, which is the worst thing you could possibly do. <laughs> they're going to take what they learned from the coronavirus pandemic and just stay the fuck at home. Yeah. Like, they're not going to show up in November, and that's the worst thing that could happen right well, now. Well, and, you know, it, it, it takes you down the, the, the rabbit hole of, of alternatives that could happen out there and the idea that, you know, Trump could just suspend national elections if yeah. this thing gets out of hand. So there's any number of ways this could go, and he's going to use it to his advantage. Yeah, it's 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 interesting you say that. I read that Putin is trying his went to the Russian houses of of Congress or their equivalents and asked for them to suspend the the Russian Federation Constitution so he could be elected to two more terms, and then he essentially has served three decades. He was president for two terms, and he was prime minister for two when Medvedev was the president, because that was his protege, his underling, his his number one, and now he's president again. So it's, it would be funny and sad and interesting to see if it would play out that way to where two people that the majority of the world don't want leading nations in any capacity could circumvent laws and precedent to keep themselves in power longer. You know, in all of my years on this planet, I never thought we'd get to a point where there was even a remote possibility that some event could come along that could really give somebody the ability to upend our form of government and our constitution. And this is the kind of crazy shit that's going on right now, where Trump could just basically say, for the good of the company, quote unquote, country, quote unquote, we're going to just not hold elections and we're going to keep it until everything settles down. Yeah, but there are people that come in in any kind of, of emergency situation or mass panic or pandemic that profiteer from it. And it, it's happened since, since the Stone Ages, man, since the Middle Ages, through you know, the, the age of Columbus and, and, and the trade routes and the Indian trade routes. And now you still have people who are going to seize on opportunities like this. Like if, if I were Kimberly Clark and the company Kimberly Clark that owns paper products out the wazoo, if I was Coke Industries with Georgia Pacific in there, I would be licking my chops right now and just knowing how much extra we're going to make this year because of this unprecedented demand. You think Johnson & Johnson with all their cleaning products and their sanitizing products and Clorox and SC Johnson and all, you think that they're really sitting back and be like, let's do what's right for the country. Hell no. Hell no. They are going to profit off of this disaster, off of this pandemic in ways that is going to be unfathomable once everything settles out and we see how their first and second quarter profits were included and influenced by this. It's going to be insane. With all the shutdowns, if there's that much of a disruption to the country and we've already seen the markets take the dip they've taken, which put us back. Buy low, sell high, man. That's right. But we're in a bear market now and this whole thing, the longer it goes on, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Yeah. Some good news coming out of it though is like Zion Williamson, the New Orleans Pelicans number one pick, ten million dollar contract on his rookie deal, just dominated people all year last year at Duke, hurt himself came back from his injury and is, is acting like an NBA player who's been in the league for 10 years. He's 19, just insanely talented and a force to be reckoned with on the basketball court. Pledged for the next month, the next 30 days, to pay the salaries and wages of everyone that, that works in the arena in New Orleans so that they can have a paycheck while the NBA games are shut down. That's cool. 19 That's years cool. old, $10 million contract. He's going to give everybody there... Money And he said, when it, I think I saw it on Instagram or Twitter, and he said that the reason he did this is because he's met those people, and they're the reason why the fans are able to have the experience that they have, which allows for the athletes to go out there and put on a show. And that he was raised to do the right thing and give back when it was needed. And so he was going to pledge his own money to pay the salaries of the arena workers in New Orleans for the next 30 days. That's cool. You know, other NBA athletes are coming out pledging, you know, 50 grand, 100 grand. That Mark Cuban was on, was interviewed uh, this week and asking about it. He's like, you know, we're looking at it. Same thing. Talking about how, you know, these are people that are hourly. A lot of them, and, and you don't think about it until you really sit back and think about the last baseball game or football game or basketball game or even 
college sporting event that you went to, most of the people there are elderly folks or older folks yep. that are supplementing their retirement, their pension, their savings, their 401k, whatever it is. And they do it. So if you miss 15 events in a month, that's real money. Mm-hmm. That's real money. And some of those older folks, that's their primary source of income. So it's for you and I, we go there, we buy a hot dog and we get a beer from the guy, you know, bringing the Coors Light or the Miller Light down the stands, charging us $14 for a can that we can get at the liquor store for $2.50. That's that's real money for them. That's how they pay their bills. And so to see athletes come out and say, you know, we get it. We are blessed to have the skills and talent we have to make the money we make. We're going to give back and we're going to help out the people that make our jobs possible. That's cool to see. I mean, you're starting to see the good in humanity come out. Um, you know, there are people at, um, at Target today. My daughter was there for getting some things. And she said that there were people that weren't taking everything that was on the shelves. And even though they, they could have used six of whatever it was, they took one or two to allow for other people to have an opportunity to buy those things so everybody would be able to take care of themselves. So amidst all of the political fervor that's happening, there's good things happening in your communities all around us. So take the time and just look at it and see the good of what people are doing and you know, maintain your social separation distance of six feet, but thank that person if you see something good. Let's try to get some a positive spin on all this negativity that we're hearing right now. Yeah, we're going to have to pitch in, and uh, I agree. There's still basic, decent humanity out there, and I'm hopeful that people will realize we're all in this together. Because this is one of those events where nothing, nothing you can do with your money or your status can change the fact that if you get this virus, you get this virus. So we're all on equal level playing field on this. So there is no vaccine. Like you get it, you have it. It's not like you can go get a shot and be okay. Like, and this is this to me is like where the anti-vaxxers are probably just shitting themselves because I never got the measles. I never got the mumps. I never got rubella. I got inoculated when I was a kid and I didn't get any of those things. Like vaccines work. They work. They're, if they're done the right way, and in my opinion, the only thing I would see differently is that the drug manufacturing companies tell us what the inert ingredients are. Because for a long time, mercury, mercury was added to those as a stabilizing agent. We know that's, that's toxic to our bodies. So what's pushing that vaccine into our body? Other than that, you give me that information, vaccines all day long. I'm good. You know. So until we have a vaccine, let's just, let's just pretend we're holding hands and sing Kumbaya. And let's all just get along. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. So how do you think our president, I mean, we talked about our president, but do you think he's too old to be in office? Because I, I, I just see some, some, I see some senility coming out of him, like not really listening and hearing and understanding. And I don't know if he's, it, and it could just be, I'll lead with this. It could just be that the generation he was raised in, men don't show weakness. And if he says it's a problem, it's a weakness. Like my father-in-law's got... Um, CML, which is a form of leukemia, it's managed, it's chronic. He can he takes pills and, and chemo and stuff, and he can live his life normally as long as he's on the medication. But whenever you ask him, "How are you feeling?" he always says he's fine. When he looks like shit, he's lethargic and he can't hardly sit down. He's taking naps at two in the afternoon, which he never used to do. So I think it's partly generational, but I also think that at a certain age, like you just you can be an advisor to the president based off your experience. But I think we need to have a constitutional amendment to say. After 65, you can't run for office. You can't run for president. If you can, if you can get full-on Social Security, you are too old to be president. Go to a retirement community. Go back to Mar-a-Lago, Trump. Live out there. Bloviate through Twitter. Do your thing, but please don't run our country. Well, sure. But, I mean, you know, just start from the fact that being president of the United States is arguably one of the toughest jobs in the entire world. Look at... Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama, and how much they aged in the time period that they were in office. and All of them were, were silky gray when they left Oh, office. hell yes. And Clinton was in his 40s when he was elected. Yeah, yeah. And it took its toll. So if you factor that in, and you factor in what happens to your body and your mind at age 65 and above, yeah, you know, I don't... I don't see how it's a good thing that we're just 
continuing to put this idea of old white guys in, in office. Not that being white is going to make it easier or harder, but old for sure. So I agree, 65 is a reasonable age. Because at a certain point in time, we have to know that decisions are being made properly and that a person with full function is in there. And when you get to be president of the United States, if you have that kind of ego and you're over 65, you're not going to let people in on anything that's going on with you. None of the checkups that Trump has had at Walter Reed Medical Center since he's been in office, they've never been fully put out there. It's always, he's doing great. Well, we don't fucking know that. You didn't show us anything. So... Additionally, I think, you know, two things. Number one, you look at the Democratic field that started running eight, ten months ago. The most diverse field of candidates ever put put before the voters of this country in our history. Ever. An African-American woman, a gay man, women were equal to men. The ages were from, you know, late 30s to 70s. There was so much diversity there that all we could come up with was the two 70-year-olds. Like, they, they should be there to be advisors to the younger generations. But they shouldn't be the ones that we're talking about who are going to get the nomination. If Mayor Pete and Elizabeth Warren were on ticket together, they'd beat Trump. They'd be Trump. They would. If Kamala Harris and Cory Booker were on a ticket together, they'd beat Trump. But we got Bernie and Biden, and God knows who they're they're lining up for potential VP candidates. It's 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 just asinine that we allow ourselves to let the eldest generation continue to run things with the perspective of nineteen fifty. Like, so many things have changed. We're in such a different place as a, as a country that we need a leader who represents those who are in the workforce full-time, those who are paying into Social Security with their payroll taxes, those that are able and able-bodied and of the right age to go into the military and volunteer for service for this country to go fight so that we can maintain our freedom and continue to be the United States of America. We need people who are in that age group and not folks who realistically or could be great-grandparents if they're not already. Well, and I would even take it a step further and say, look, if you're going to run for president, go get a physical and tell us what comes out of your physical. Show us your tax return. Show us that you're worthy of getting into this job because guess what? We're putting you in charge of every fucking thing that's going on here and we need you to lead you know, so I have no idea right now what mental capacity Trump has, what physical ailments he might have, and for all I know, he's got raging syphilis and he's making decisions based on that. I mean, he's if, I, out. if I fucked a porn star, I might got a syphilis from it too, but that's a whole nother episode of this show. And you know, syphilis eats your brain. That's how that's Capone right. died. He was, they said he had the mental capacity of like an 11-year-old when he died because... The syphilis rotted his brain out where he couldn't think straight and couldn't even talk. Yeah. So, but you know, Bernie had a stint put in, and 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 they're so his base is so desperate to get him in there that they just never even faced him. I'm fine. Move on. And in a lot of cases, I mean, like my dad had a stint put in. He was fine afterwards. He's but not running for that president. Give, if you're running for president, shouldn't that give you pause if you're the voter to go, oh, well, he already had a heart problem and I don't know that he's eating salads all the time, so yeah. I don't fucking know if he's taking care of himself. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right. You should have a physical and the, the results of your physical, your blood work, your labs, all of that should be released to the public, not because you have to give up those privacies, but you, you're leading a 350 million person strong country with a ridiculously powerful military force and a budget that is larger than any other nation and dwarfs even our closest allies as far as size at over $4 trillion. We have to know that you can make it. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take somebody and pluck them off the couch and be like, you know what? 
humanity is resting on you running this marathon on Saturday. And if you don't do it, we're all doomed. Like you can't just take somebody who's not fit for something of that magnitude and put them in there just because they say so. Like, I get it. If you showed me you were trustworthy, I'll believe you. Trump, through all of his business dealings, has not showed us that he's trustworthy. Biden, I think, is just as, he's just as crooked as Trump when it comes to making money. He did it through public service and as a multimillionaire with the speaking engagements and things. And you know that there were companies when he was a senator. You know that Halliburton was knocking on his door when they were in Iraq saying, hey, Mr. Biden, Senator, we need your help. Oh, by the way, here's a hundred grand for your campaign. Sure. Sure. Right. I mean, so so you can't say that you're benevolent, and you're altruistic when when you're just as dirty as the guy you're going against. Like, then show us, show us your tax returns, disclose where your money's coming from. If you have court holdings overseas, tell us where they are. Tell us what country. Tell us what the company is. Tell us why you did it. Like, there should be like a three hundred page disclosure that you are required to fill out as part of the nominating process to even run and get your name on the ballot. Aside from that, if you're 35 and you meet all the other criteria for president, go ahead. That's in the Constitution. You're good. Sure. Well, and you bring up a good point with the Constitution. My challenge with the whole thing is that I love our Constitution. It is a brilliant document written by brilliant men. But those brilliant men lived over 200 years ago, and they couldn't have foreseen what this nation was going to be. So... Why not put more restrictions in on becoming president? The more you do that, the more you ferret out the ones that might not be the best candidates, and you at yeah. least can go, okay, at least we know they're healthy and that they're going to be around for a while. Can't speak to their morality because we don't know who they're taking money from. But it's when you get into these people that are such purists about the Constitution and they take it in its most literal form, it's it's very difficult to get things done in this country because we have to look at the changes that have gone on. We have to adapt certain aspects of the Constitution. Yeah, I think the first 10 amendments, I think you should, I mean, for me personally, I think those are the basic guarantees that are well thought out and still make sense today. You know, freedom of religion, press, assembly, freedom to bear arms if you choose to, you know, legal search and seizure, you know, protections against that, protections against quartering of soldiers in your house, protections against being forced to testify against yourself in a court of law. Like, all of those make a lot of sense. And I think if you if you mess with the Constitution, those the, the Bill of Rights, they're almost like, like, come an act of God or an apocalyptic nature that those don't move. But you can look at things like, like the, the Amendment for Prohibition, the 19th Amendment, the 17th Amendment that allowed for those that were um, born into the country as slaves to be um, citizens, right? Or 14th Amendment, right? Um, you know, so th there are things that we can do outside of the first 10 that make sense. And the, the beauty of the document is that our founders knew that they didn't know what it was going to turn into. So they gave us a process to make that document work for all people in the time which we live. I think it's I think it's Article Two of the of the Constitution is where it talks about the age of the president. Mm -hmm. That's what we amend. You call a constitutional convention to amend that subsection of I think it's Article Two of the Constitution that limits the minimum age, and then you add a maximum age. And if you can do that, I think there's a lot of people who are just tired of old white guys. Like, well, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and if Hillary were to run, if she were just to drop into the race today she probably could take it from Biden because there are a lot of people who don't like Biden because of how nasty he was toward Hillary when she ran against Obama. And I think that she could come in and she could sway a lot of people who are on the fence about, well, Biden's not Trump and I don't like Biden, but at least it's not Trump. If she did that, it was a calculated move, she could do it. But again, she's over 70. Like, she's too old. Like, yeah. right off into the sunsets. Like, Rudy Giuliani. Had he not gone into Trump's administration and not become Trump's de facto lawyer in charge, attorney general guy, he could have ridden off into the sunset as the mayor of 9-11 yeah. and been a national hero remembered through history for how he galvanized the city after the greatest mainland attack 
this country has ever seen. He could have written books and told speeches and charged a quarter million bucks a pop, and he could have retired a wealthy man and been just like, yep, I did my thing, I'm out. But then he stirred the pot, and now he's going to be remembered as Trump's patsy. Like, at some point in time, just go. Just go. Like, thank you for your service. Please now retire. Well, and, and you know, unfortunately, all the corporations are owned by old white guys. And so it's the old boy club. And that's the people that they want in office because that's their guarantee that they're going to continue to be able to do what they can do and make the money. So you start... Putting an age limit on a maximum age for president, you're you're starting to knock out all the old white guys, yeah. because you know, below age sixty five, you've got the bottom part of the last half of the baby boomer generation, and then you're into Gen Xers, you know. So Gen Xers were raised by boomers, but they have a different mentality and mindset. Millennials that were raised by boomers have a different outlook and mindset. And I really think anybody who got screwed. In 08, they have a different outlook. I mean, you have the people that are making decisions now or that will be for the foreseeable future based off who is set to run against Trump didn't have the struggles that the majority of Americans had in 2008 to 2016. In that eight years of recovery, they didn't have the struggles. They were rich. They were affluent. They had... Secret Service protection in Biden's case. They were flying around on private helicopters, living in the penthouse of Trump Tower in New York City, you know, living in, in multi-million dollar estates throughout the world. They didn't feel it like everyone else. And so to continue to perpetuate the cycle of they know it all, it's, it's just, it's time to move on. I don't care who gets elected. I'm not thrilled about Biden. I'm not thrilled about Bernie mainly because they're too old. I would have loved to have seen somebody who is younger get elected. The the Xers and the Millennials need their time in the spotlight. Yeah, and that's coming. It won't be on this cycle. Probably 2024. But you you made a good point earlier about Hillary swooping in. Do you know what kind of shit show that's going to be if she decides she wants to be the, the savior of the Democratic Party? It might kill the Democratic Party. Like, people will be like, seriously? And yeah. they might just walk away. Yeah. You might see, well, after the last few elections, more people defected from the major parties and declared themselves as independent, with no party affiliation, which is a whole nother conversation we probably need to have at some point. How come if you're an independent voter, if you pay taxes, how come you can't vote in general primaries? Just how come? In the state of Kansas, you have to be registered to the Republicans or Democrats to vote in their primary. Why can't everyone who pays taxes in the state of Kansas vote for both sides of the aisle so they can put yeah. forward the candidates that they really want to see and yeah. not the ones that are predetermined and pre-selected by the powers that be? So maybe that's a fodder for another conversation. There. It, is. It's, it is. I think, back to the age thing, if Trump was younger and had a little bit more clarity around his thoughts and didn't have so much of the holier-than-thou attitude that I think he's accumulated over the last 35 years in business, I think we would be in a much different place with this. Compare what he's doing and contrast it to what's happening up north to our Canadian border. Trudeau's wife tested positive. He said, I don't have it. I've been tested. My wife has it. Our kids don't have it. But we're all quarantining ourselves, and we're, we're listening to the advice of world health officials from all nations and the WHO and their version, the Canadian version of the CDC. Oh, I know. It's that like... is an emotionally intelligent, adult, mature reaction to make sure that your nation feels at ease and to reassure them that you're in control and you got this shit figured out. Yeah. What do we have from Trump? Him reading a teleprompter where he just, if you watched that <laughs> him the other night, he had his hands crossed and he was like flicking his thumbs but you could tell he just wanted to gesture with his hands like he does in his campaign rallies. There was something very monotone about his voice, but it was almost like he was angry that he couldn't just fly off the cuff and say whatever he wanted. That somebody forced him to stay on script, and he still was able to blame Europe for it. Well, yeah. Like, seriously. He can't, he can't Twitter his way out of this one. Right. And that's where 
you really old. see the chinks in the armor. And there were chinks in the armor ahead of the coronavirus, but now he's got a national crisis that he just can't tweet away. And honestly, I felt better about the coronavirus listening to Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson talk about how they were handling it. And I'm like, oh my God, it's America. Tom Hanks for president. It's America's dad. He's telling me everything's <laughs> going to be okay because he's smart enough. He's just staying in Australia till he feels better. And I'm like, why the fuck can't we get that from the leaders in this country? So I, I, I rescind part of my previous statement about being too old. I think Tom Hanks is in his 60s now. But if he ran for president, oh my God. I, the, it, it would be a bigger... Elect like a bigger slide than when Reagan was reelected in '88. <laughs> like there would be like zero delegates for anybody else. It would be Tom Hanks all the way. Oh. Can you imagine him addressing the United Nations? Oh. How awesome it would be! Be like, yeah, the first movie I remember seeing was big, but look at that. Now he's president. Well, yeah, like that I would mean, be awesome. Jesus Christ, Reagan was in what Bedtime for Bonzo with yeah. that friggin' ape. I'm like, if he can become president, fucking anybody can become president. And, well, now, and now, I really did. regret those words because, <laughs> because look who's fucking now, president. Now, now we have a Cheeto Perez <laughs> trying to do things and he doesn't know what he's doing. But yeah, I think, I think you know, we have to we have to be objective about age limits, if they, if and term limits um, for everyone. But age limits for president, you 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 have to. I mean, if you from from thirty five to sixty five, that's thirty years. That's three decades. And I don't know off the top of my head how many hours, minutes, seconds there are in thirty years. But that's a shitload of time for you. If you aspire to be president, to be doing things from from being student council president in high school, mm -hmm. and being in your student senate in college, and then running for city council, then you know being a mayor, and then going to state house, and then being a state senator, and then going to U.S. house, and then going to U.S. senator, and then throwing your name in the hat to be president, if that's truly your life's aspiration from 35 to 65, you should absolutely have enough time to get your shit together so you can run for office sure. at that level. And you have to let the next generation come in. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, anyway. All right. Good chat. Good talk. Thank uh, you all, uh, yeah. everyone out there on the interwebs for listening to us. We appreciate your support. This is uh, uh, round two of... This, this social experiment that Bart and I are running to see if people actually care what we have to say. Be on the lookout. We'll have a Facebook page for two fat guys and a microphone shortly. Twitter's coming. We're going to throw something on Instagram. So we're going to get hip with the times and we're going to get some things on social media. If you like what you hear, please click subscribe uh, down below so you can continue to, to know when we push out new uh, episodes and get updates from us as we go on. Thank you all very much for listening to season one, episode two of Two, two Fat, Fat Guys and a Microphone. microphone.